0: Sometimes when you meet people of other faiths, their devotion can make you feel a little insecure about your own practice. In this episode, you'll hear the testimony of a former Muslim who will help us understand Muslim piety and how the gospel transforms our thinking about what makes us truly devout. Plus a whole lot more on this episode of the Mission Life Podcast.
1: to help Christians move from uh, standing on the sidelines to building transformational relationships. That as you build that relationship with your Muslim friend, that the relationship transforms the other person.
0: Welcome to the Mission Life Podcast. My name is Jeff. The other day, I had the privilege of talking with a devout, humble Pakistani Muslim man we waited while our kids practiced karate. The man had a great sense of humor. He impressed me with his devotion. He was holding his prayer beads when I came up to him. He spoke of God with reverence and sincerity. He talked about submitting to God's will and ending the violence in our world. Sometimes when Christians meet those who are truly devout in other faiths, it can be intimidating. They seem a whole lot more committed than we are. We might think, how can I talk to them? I've never read the Quran or their holy book. I don't know much about their faith. I don't know the Bible well enough. I recently sat down with Fawad Mashri, a Lebanese former Muslim who now trains Christians to share the good news of Jesus with Muslims. In this conversation, you'll hear us talk about Muslim piety, the role of women, heaven, Muslim paradise, and a whole lot more.
1: Uh, My name is Fawad Masri. I was born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon. My father is Lebanese, but my mom is Syrian. It's great to have been born and raised there. I saw uh, God do miracles uh, and saving people, and he also saved me during the war in Lebanon. In Lebanon, uh, the war was uh, very vicious, and people were dying because they are from different religious backgrounds. People were killing each other because of nationality because of religion because of politics and i saw sin raw and that made me really reevaluate life in general that life is more than just toys and business and money life is to be lived well but also life is to be lived with the standard from god is the sin of hate in my heart i could not shake it the standard was to love my neighbor And uh, when I read Jesus saying, love your enemies, that made it even more, more hard for me to love my enemies. However, Christ says in John 15, verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. In John 15, Jesus gives a beautiful example. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear more fruit. So suddenly it hit me that to be able to obey God's law, you need God's strength. To be forgiven from your sins... You need the Redeemer, but then that Redeemer should help me live the life that God wants me to live. So it was exciting during the war in Lebanon to see that sin can be washed away by a Redeemer, who is the Word of God, become flesh. We call him Jesus. and But also Christ says, without me you can do nothing. He can live in me. Yeah. So I became a believer, started sharing the gospel with Muslim uh, friends, neighbors, classmates, and discovered that most Muslims today have never read the Quran, the book of Islam, nor they have read the Bible, the book of the Christians. So many times they have uh, false ideas, they have uh, misconceptions, incorrect ideas. Uh, Sometimes they think um, Christians are pagans, that we worship three gods. Uh, Sometimes they think the Bible has been changed. Uh, Sometimes they have their own traditions. Uh, One guy said to me, you know, you Christians are required to fast 40 days, but our religion is easier. We only fast 28 days. And so the struggle with that is that there are fallacies on different religions. Um, On top of it, most of the Muslim people bring their information about religion, culture, from television and the media, since there's a lot of illiteracy in the Muslim world. And so that added more to my desire to see this thing changed. Um, in my sophomore year in college, I knew God was calling me for full-time Christian work. And my sophomore year in college, I knew that uh, God wants me to dedicate my life telling Muslims about Jesus.
0: And so, uh, what did that lead you to do?
1: I started uh, um, this uh, re-evaluating my degree. I was thinking of going to med school, and I was I wanted to become a doctor. Uh, But I switched it to communications and ended up with a degree in radio and television. And the first thing I did after I graduated from college, I built a radio studio and we worked with uh, agencies that broadcasted the gospel on radio to the Muslim world. So some of the programs we produced were on Ibra, on Radio Monte Carlo, on FIBA, Far East Broadcasting Association. And we would get letters, and a lot of people were interested and then um, five years after that i decided to go to fuller seminary and i did my master's degree in islamic studies it is it is on islam but i wanted to do more study on how we equip christians to share the gospel because many christians when they meet muslims they are a little bit sometimes sheepish they feel well i've never read the quran i don't read arabic i don't know really islam as a religion. Uh, you know, they're very pious, I don't know if I'm as pious as they are. So, you uh, discover that many Christians sometimes put up walls, uh, then bring down the walls and build bridges. You know, uh, partly was the way they viewed Arabs, or the way they viewed Muslims, or the way they viewed politics.
0: I know what it's like to feel unsure about how to talk to people of other faiths. It's tempting to think you need to know a lot about their beliefs. Or you might just get stuck on shallow conversations about everyday things. So how can we move forward? How can we get beyond fear and have meaningful conversations with Muslims? Fouad started a ministry to do just that.
1: In 1993, I found a Crescent Project. Mm-hmm. Um, I had served in Lebanon and Beirut and had gotten my master's degree and uh, founded the Crescent Project because I wanted to help Christians move from uh, standing on the sidelines to building transformational relationships. What you mean by transformational relationship? means that as you build that relationship with your Muslim friend, that the relationship transforms the other person. Instead of always making it very shallow, very, uh, you know, hi-hi, you know, and you know we went to your wedding you come to our wedding and we wanted that that the relationship be going deeper Mm -hmm. where the Muslim will hear the gospel and then regardless of their decision whether they decide to follow Christ or or not to follow Christ at least they heard the gospel and now that relationship will definitely transform them even if they didn't get saved it transformed their view of what do Christians believe? Christians are not pagans. We don't worship three gods. These are all misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Once we remove those misconceptions, that relationship has transformed that person, mm-hmm. regardless of their decision. So, what does
0: Crescent Project do?
1: Well, we we have we uh, our mission statement says Crescent Project um, exists because we have a hope worth sharing. We see a day when fear is replaced with love and millions of Christians are sharing the good news with millions of Muslims. Mm -hmm. And our regular thing that we do daily is we exist to inspire and equip Christians to share the Gospel with Muslims.
0: As you build relationships with Muslims or anyone of another faith, it's important to know how they view their devotion. Why do they do what they do? What makes them pious in their religion? If we only view Muslims through the lens of the media, we might get one idea about what makes Muslims devout. But what is Muslim piety exactly, and how does it compare to the Christian understanding of devotion to God?
1: Uh, Piety in uh, Islam is called taqwa. And according to Islam, taqwa can be increased or decreased. Muhammad had a saying that uh, the best Muslims the way you compare each other, which one had more piety than the other? So in Islam, we have what we call in Christianity self-righteousness. In Islam, it's the way you brag. You say, well, I did hajj, I went to Mecca. Or I do prayer five times a day. Or according to Islam, Muhammad always added an extra kneeling. So many devout Muslims, if I want to show God that I'm a very good Muslim, I will add an extra kneeling. This is how taqwa is seen, because it's based... Uh, on what's going to happen to Judgment Day. According to Islam, on Judgment Day, there is a scale. Your good works are on one side, your bad works on the other side. Whichever way the scale tips, you go to heaven or to hell. So a Muslim person, if they know the religion, they're always worried about that day of judgment. Majority of Muslims today are nominal. So they might have maybe a religious father or grandfather or mom, somebody in the family that's religious. So the nominal Muslims, what they do is they take some religious activities and they do them as a uh, fire insurance. That if there is judgment day, at least I've done as much as I can. Mm. Uh, You will hear many Muslims when you say to them, are you Muslim? They would say something like, well, I'm not a good Muslim. Mm. This idea that I'm not a good Muslim means that I'm maybe not practicing as as I'm supposed to. Or if judgment day happens, I don't know if i've done enough good works anyway in islam nobody can tell when they've done enough good works on top of it in islam god is sovereign so god can change his mind even if you're a good muslim god can send you to hell in the bible god is sovereign but our god is a holy god which means he's holy in his sovereignty he's holy is in mercy so god's sovereignty because he is holy he loves all people he saves all people god's sovereignty is balanced with his holiness and that's why we see that in isaiah god punishes uh, uh, the the nation because they disobeyed uh, uh, the commands and isaiah tells the king don't fight the babylonians because god is using them to punish you you have left god we see that the same in, in Jesus. Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer, and you made him then a thief. So the idea for us, God doesn't have a favorite football team. God doesn't have a favorite denomination. God doesn't have a favorite religion. God is holy, and he's holding his sovereignty. So in First John 1, 9, when the Bible says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness that is a promise that the holy god will forgive your sins you don't have to wait to judgment day and his sovereignty he won't change his mind he is not a god who changes i mean we know that he's the rough ages and so in islam that's always a problem can we attain heaven what if god changes mind have i done enough good works will i will i have a uh, a time where I can do maybe one thing that will fix all problems so sometimes we would say oh if you go to pilgrimage it forgives all the sins of your life well there's always these questions Mm -hmm. so taqwa piety becomes a way to control God or to appease God so he will let us into paradise when it comes to scripture the bible says in Romans do not be conformed to the world but in uh, but set yourself apart and it says uh, offer yourself as a living sacrifice a sacrifice is dead and it's offered to God we, he's saying you're living you're not dead you're still alive but you're offering your life as as a sacrifice it also says by changing your mind by conforming your mind to God's to God's will so it's very important to know that for us piety is a result of our surrender to God the Bible uh, says, uh, take captive every thought. And so this very beautiful understanding of piety that's totally different. I am not doing my prayer. I am not going to church. So somehow I control God or somehow God is this big candy machine. You know, I put the quarter and I get the candy. It's not, you know, it's, God is not the God who's just giving me gifts and going to let me to he- go to heaven. God is my heavenly father. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. I rejoice in God, my Redeemer. So when I go to prayer, when I go to church, when I go to fellowship, when I go to listen to my minister, when I go on a mission trip, when I love my neighbor as myself, when I love my enemies, when I pray for my enemies, I'm doing all this not to attain heaven. I already attained heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, heaven is given to us as grace, as a gift that we receive it by faith. You know, and so... uh, The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is taqwa, is piety, is a response because we attain heaven. Mm. In Islam, piety is a way to attain heaven. Mm. In Christianity, we already attained heaven. So what you are seeing is the joy that we know we have been redeemed. And so we go to church. God's not going to watch us say, did you go to church or not? And he's going to judge us on that. We go into church because we want to see our brothers and sisters and fellowship and learn and get equipped. Church for us is where we gather. And church can be even in a house. What about countries where you're not allowed to have a building? Church can happen in a house. And that's the beauty. is The gathering of the believers is a place for joy. It's not to attain heaven. We already attained it because of Christ.
0: Fuad talked about Muslims trying to earn God's favor. But I have to admit that sometimes Christians can be guilty of trying to earn God's favor too, just by going to church, or giving money, or doing Christian things. But all religions have some sort of idea about what it takes to be forgiven by God. We all know we do wrong things, so how do we get forgiven?
1: Every time you go to prayer, you go ask God for forgiveness. The issue with Islam is not that they don't understand that God can forgive. The issue with Islam is they believe that God will forgive according to how much good works you've done. And the idea that we have is like you will never do enough good works there's mm-hmm. there's no way i can please god almighty there's no way a human can su- a- a- appease the the divine the creator it doesn't work the second thing in islam is they understand forgiveness but they say say, so, oh yeah we ask god to forgive god will forgive but then what happens on judgment day they don't know did he or did he not while for us the promise in one in first john 1 9 already clear that the promise God won't lie so I am assured of my salvation because the promise well in Islam they don't know the third thing that's a problematic is when Islam says God forgives it comes across as God is a simple God doesn't he know like what I did and I just say some things in Arabic and that's it while in Christianity is doing a different ballgame Jesus says there were two debtors, one was uh, one in debt for 10000 one was 10000 and they were forgiven. And then he says, who was loved more? Well, they were both loved, but the one whose debt was forgiven was loved more in a sense. But then somebody paid the debt, who is, who is the person who gave the money in the first place. So for us, Jesus uh, redeemed us from the wrath of God because we are in debt to God we're not in debt to anybody else your sin is a debt to God and God should punish but for him to say forgive this means he found a way out mm-hmm. like the pharisee and the tax collector the tax collector knocks at his chest and says god forgive me or have mercy on me and when you read in the greek the greek is beautiful it says have it, find a way out for me and the way out was he sent us the redeemer mm-hmm. that's what jesus on the cross says mm-hmm. it is finished it is done. Do, uh, what do Muslims think of that idea, though, that one person who died 2,000 years ago can forgive the sins of all people? Islam teaches that you are responsible for your own sins. So it's you work. And what Christianity is saying, you cannot save yourself. If somebody is in quicksand and sinking, they can't get themselves out. You need somebody from outside. If a sinner cannot redeem a sinner, and a sinner cannot wash himself from his sins. Once you once you break one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken all of them. And Jesus said, if you look and lust, you've committed adultery. So he already made it harder. Mm-hmm. He said, if you hate your brother, it's like you've killed him. So it's even harder than the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So uh, for Islam to say, you know, well, one person can't redeem us. Well, no one can redeem us. And that person is not Jesus the man. It's the incarnate word of God. So on the cross, Jesus was the man, absolutely, but his spirit was the son of God, the word of God. So he, in one instance in history, he can die for everyone who's gonna be born because his soul is divine. He's, He's the word become flesh. So one person can redeem everybody in all history because that act was done by a divine, Intervention by the incarnation. It wasn't done by a good man. He wasn't this man, wasn't somebody who was born in Mecca or Jerusalem or London or whatever. It was God become flesh, Mm. or if you want to be theological, God's word became flesh. So the angel tells Mary, You shall be found with the child, and you shall call him Jesus because he saves his people from their sins so the beauty about the incarnation is this union of son of man son of god the word incarnate this union is we get the redeemer john the baptist sees jesus and says behold the lamb of god that takes the sins of the world so suddenly now we understand that that act two thousand years ago on the cross saves everybody because the person of jesus he's not a human person he is a fully man absolutely but he's also fully god and that's the beauty of our salvation is it was one time in hebrews it says the high priest offered himself once and forever he's the sacrifice Mm -hmm. now one more thing that christians will forget the story never ends with the crucifixion the story begins with the resurrection This is where we come to the point between redemption and justification. Because, therefore, because we are justified, now we can live a godly life. And Peter says, we have been given everything we need. This is the beauty about grace. Grace is we have been given everything we need. We have everything. We have everything to live a godly life. We have everything to uh, to live for God. We have everything to live a holy life. It's already there. That's grace. How do you receive grace? By faith. What is faith? Trust. So you trust in God, and you obey Him, and it's daily trust. Every day, I am saved by the blood of Jesus. It's His grace. Nothing I have is from me, and I receive it by faith. Every morning, I have I, I trust Christ for my life. I trust Christ to give me wisdom, to give me power. Can I love my enemies? No, but Jesus in me can. Can I love my neighbor? No, but Jesus in me can. Can I be a good husband? No, Jesus in me can. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing. Can I be a good businessman? No, but Jesus in me can make me a good businessman.
0: And there's no such help in Islam. There's no such in help Islam,
1: God the, God is transcendent. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is unknowable. And so you are the slave. He's the master. You just obey the law. While Jesus in John 15 says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what the master is doing. I call you friends because I have told you everything I love this verse. That It's a different understanding of God. So Islam becomes a religion of rituals, religion of works, religion of fear, religion of uh, concern and uh, anxiety about Judgment Day. Uh, Also added to that, uh, Satan is a problem in Islam. Uh, Demonic activities are a problem in Islam. We don't know where where they fit in in the concept of God. If God exists, why do we have... Satan, they have all these ideas on why he's there. Well, for us, we know that from the beginning. God creates. God is a holy God. And those who chose to follow God are the angels. Those who chose not to became the, the devil and his, his army. So we have an understanding of the spirit Word that's based on a holy God. And then it says in Revelation there's going to be a new heaven, new earth where sin doesn't exist so we know that we are here for it. this is just this present darkness it's just a, it's a temporary we are in a temporary situation mm-hmm. until the consummation of history so when we look at judgment day for us as Christians judgment day is a happy day Jesus described it as a wedding mm-hmm. It's a happy wedding mm-hmm. right so uh, while for others it's a fearful day because they don't know where they will, they will go but for us the judgment day, the end of the earth, or whatever we call that, the end of time, is happy for us because the new new phase will be heaven, earth, a new time, new place um, where sin doesn't exist.
0: But in, the, in Islam, the concept is paradise. How does that compare to our...
1: Yeah, that's a very powerful word you use. Paradise in Islam means comes from the word fardaus, and fardaus is Persian for garden. Uh, so in Islam every time we mention heaven it's mentioned as a garden and every time we mention the garden it's a garden only men there uh, men are the ones rejoicing in the garden we don't know where the women go but the men as it's a very sensuous place the men are eating and drinking there's food there's rivers uh there's trees there are maidens to take care of us sexually there are little boys to take care of sexually it's really problematic when you read the text it's a very uh, much of a um, it's a sexual activities on a regular basis while for us you know the new heaven new earth is a different ball game it's uh it's yes we rejoice as as a kingdom we rejoice as christians uh, you know I, i'm sure we'll recognize each other because mm-hmm. how how can we rejoice if we don't recognize each other but the equation there is a little bit different it's different than you know procreation or or enjoying the food it's it's a total different uh, Actually, like the a, life.
0: actually being with God, in the concept of Islam, God is too high and too holy to ever be with or to have a relationship with. There's paradise; is separate from God, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. God is not a, God is not eating with you yeah. and yeah. drinking with you in paradise. Whereas Jesus invites us to His table. He mm-hmm. invites
0: us, you know. Um, interesting. Now, what makes a, a a female Muslim pious or devout?
1: Yeah. Thank you. If you take all Muslim women today. don't know how to read and write. So, if you're a Muslim woman, and most of them get married at a young age, they could be married as young as 10, and you are told that if you don't please your husband, according to Hadith, that the husband is the one who gives permission if the woman can can enter heaven or not. So, a lot of Muslim women are worried. I need to be a good wife, so my husband will say yes. The other thing is that there's this fear that I won't get to to paradise so there's always this piety playing in if i can be more pious the other thing that we notice when we visit many muslim countries is that muslim women have um, been kind of boxed they don't have a lot of social power or family power many times their dad decides who they marry or their father their brother and so because of that many women resort to what we call uh, folk re- uh, religious activities like um, you know seeking diviners or they're afraid from the evil eye or maybe there's some they use the term shamanism which means you know somebody in the neighborhood kind of has these separate powers and, you know can talk to the dead or whatever so you find that that's happening because they are so weak socially and religiously they resort to these things so for a muslim woman to be muslim is it's she's trying like like men to appease God so she can make it to heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they are educated and they've read parts of the Quran or they studied part of Islam, many times you find Muslim women who are educated, they would uh, take the verses in the Quran, like the verse on beating your wife in the Quran. They take any verse that's really problematic and they say, well, that's only for the days of Muhammad. Although the Quran doesn't say that, but in their mindset, they pick and choose what they want because they are comparing Islam to the west or the comparing islam to somebody else Mm -hmm. that's where the job of the believer comes in we have to always remember that our job is an ambassador we our job is to represent jesus so when i talk to a muslim woman whether she's literate or illiterate whether she knows her religion or not i want to represent jesus so she can consider christ as the alternative to a religion of rituals to a religion that doesn't give her the honor mary Her psalm is in scripture now. The words of Mary have become for us the inspired word of God because the angel spoke to her and then she had a psalm. Jesus appears to the the Marys, the women. Um, Christ honored women even in his teaching. Some of the parables are only for men, but some of the parables are only for women. That his women of his time could understand. Mm -hmm. Like when he talked about the flower and the yeast. Mm. Only women in those days will understand because he was teaching them mm. about the kingdom of God. But that was their job. Uh, we see that Christ had that and our faith looks at men and women as a deeper than gender. Society always, and people are, you know, okay, it's a male, female, no, no, it's a deeper. You know, we are children of God. We are family of God. Uh, we are brothers and sisters. That's a different understanding that all the time keeping it. You know, male, female, you know, especially in this day and age where suddenly sexuality defines everything. While in reality, we are creators humans, you know, yes, there's men and women, but we are more than just a man and woman. We are creatures. We are, we have our own God-given gifts. We have our own God-given talents. We have, you know, uh, everybody is unique in their, in their gifting and in the way they look even. And so... uh, uh, for us, a ma- male and female relationship is more than just, you know, uh, the sexual activity. We, we look at life different. You know, you're a man. God has a calling for you. You're a woman. God has a calling for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what uh, you miss out in Islam also. Because in Islam, the role of the woman is to be a spouse. Basically to be a wife and to bear children a Muslim man is allowed to divorce her if she cannot bear male children. That's a rule. Another rule if he needs a younger bride or he can divorce her because she cannot do good uh, good housekeeping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: While for us in Christianity, marriage is a time to represent the relationship between God and His Church. We, Marriage is a place to uh, create a home, a house. Yes, there is procreation, but it's procreation to spread the kingdom of god to shine for others so it's one man one woman because it's a display of god uh, christ and his church it's not a it's not about you know uh, machismo or how many uh, you know children i have it's not about how much you conquer mm-hmm. Uh, in your area how many kids I have and how many fields I have and how many cows I own it's not like that the Bible says a man will leave his father and mother cleave to his wife and they become one flesh it's about the relationship
0: are the women expected to pray five times a day is there a different standard for them
1: yes Um, the women the women have to have the same piety the struggle with Muslim women is they have other female issues that adds to the problem. So, uh, many many traditions of Muhammad, he looked in a negative way on women. Even there's a hadith that Muhammad said, Most people in hell are women. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it's a struggle for us. Yeah. If you dig deeper, you find that the morality of the Arab of 7th century Arabia is what is really happening in Islam, the morality of the Arabs, the way they treated wives, children, adoption, for example, is all uh, in the Quran. Well, the gospel is, is takes it at a different level. So yes, the, the Jewish culture influence, absolutely the Jewish laws, but Jesus takes it a different level. Yeah. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. So suddenly the culture shifts immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus um, says what it's not what enters you defiles it what comes out now so people said you know oh so Christians are not clean no we're clean but we're talking about defiling spiritually here so if I wash my hands but I hate my neighbor I'm still defiled you know so I wash my hands and go kill somebody or go fight for an Isis like group like the terrorist is that solving the problem no it's not
0: Final question, what what would you say to someone maybe who's listening to this and and they're they're a little bit insecure, they're maybe in a relationship with a Muslim or friend with a Muslim who's very devout and they're they're not sure they're questioning their own devotion, you know. I'm not as devoted to God. This guy's really seeking God. He prays five times a day. You know, he's memorized the Quran maybe and uh, that's a, that's an inhibitor to them. What would you say to a believer like We
1: have to remember one, as a believer, you have to remember that you and I are going to heaven by faith, through the grace of God. So whatever we do is out of gratitude uh, and we're not trying to control god god is god and he loves me and i know that and he saved me i know that and i'm going to heaven because of the promise first john 1 9. your muslim friend he's insecure he's scared he's doing all this to appease god so who's the one who's really uh, a better believer the one who's trying to control god through works or the one who says thank you lord i'm doing good works because you have been so great you know Uh, uh, generous to me i would rather work with someone who's helping me out of gratitude than someone who has an ulterior motive so that's the first thing the second thing when you see that that's a great sign because when someone drinks salt water they continue being thirsty the reason the reason the devotion you see in that muslim continues to be the same and maybe heightened because they're not satisfied. while well, you and I, we're satisfied. We know that Jesus has saved us. And I go to church to enjoy my brothers and my sisters. I go to church because I want to listen to the minister and get equipped and get ignited, get challenged, get blessed, you know, get encouraged. So uh, if I go to a prayer meeting, I'm praying there because I know God wants me to talk to him. If I'm praying at home by myself, because I'm talking to my Heavenly Father. It's not. I'm not trying to control God to let me in Heaven. I'm praying to my Heavenly Father. I miss my my God who saved me. And I want to talk to Him. Most Muslims though, if they have a rapport with you, if they know who you are, or they've known you a couple of times, when you say to them that my love for God is a ingratitude for His work in saving me, that will go farther. So anytime a Muslim argues that he is self-righteous, he's more righteous. I go the approach well on the idea that he cannot do that on purpose to show him his weakness, but most Muslims I've had really take, uh, take time to think, wait a second, that's true, I should be doing good works out of gratitude, mm-hmm. not of, out of controlling God. Mm-hmm. And that leads to the idea of are our good works good enough? Can we really uh, control God with our good works?
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Fawad. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding between the Muslim and Christian communities. So when you engage them in friendship, it's important just to see people as people. Do your homework, try to learn as much as you can about Islam or whatever their faith is, but the best source is the person themselves. The questions you heard Fawad answer today can be questions for you to ask your Muslim friend. How do they understand forgiveness? What makes us right before God? What do we need to do to be with God when we die? How do they understand paradise? These questions can also be a bridge for you to explain what Jesus taught about these things. Your goal is to love your Muslim friend and introduce them to Jesus who loves them and offers them forgiveness and joy in the kingdom of God. Our job, as Fouad says, is to be an ambassador and introduce them to Christ. Check out Fawad's ministry, The Crescent Project, at crescentproject.org. They have a ton of helpful resources for you and others in your church to be an effective ambassador. That's it for this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. Thank you for listening. For previous episodes, check out the podcast on iTunes or on my website at jeffreams.com. Subscribe, leave comments. I'd love to read your questions or ideas for future topics, We'll be back in two weeks as we explore ways to be more effective at living life on mission for Christ.